God bless you guys. I'm so thankful for Nathan and Crystal here. Um, and uh, if you have not heard the news, can I say this publicly? Okay. If you have not heard the news, some, it has been shared with some, but Crystal has received a job um, at uh, Dale Hollow Dam. She works for the U.S. Corps of Engineers. This is the job you've been praying for for how many years? Several years. Now, you live in Mount Juliet, uh, and they have been praying for years to move to this region with the particular job at Dale Hollow Lake. It has come about. And Crystal, you start the job when? End of February? Officially, she has to report to work at this location in February. So that means that the, our Lord is directing the Tingle family to come here. Yes. Amen. So um, if you were uh, a little back history, uh, last summer, uh, we had some advertisements out on we needed a worship leader. And Nathan saw it on Indeed.com, I think. Tennessee Baptist thing. Okay. He randomly saw it and he was traveling this way last summer going to a youth camp. He said, hey, I see you need some help leading worship. I'm going to drive through on the way to a youth camp. Can I stop on Sunday worship with you? And he never, never left. And, um, that's kind of how the Lord works, isn't it? Um, and so we're thankful for you guys. We celebrate with you and we'll be praying that as the transition occurs, that it's smooth, that it is, uh, bump free and, uh, anything that we can do to help you along the way. We're your church family. You've become part of us. Amen. God bless you guys. Well, please turn with me to Matthew chapter 13. We'll be looking at really only two verses today. Primarily, we'll be looking at one verse. We have to read verse 51 to set the stage for verse 52. But uh, most of our time today will be in verse 52 because I believe what Jesus is teaching his disciples here in verse 52 is very important for us today to understand where we have come from all through Matthew 13 for these many weeks um, looking at these parables I think verse 52 really drives the point home as to why Jesus was instructing the way he was instructing and for what purpose. If you're able to stand, let's stand in reverence for the reading of God's word. Again, only two verses today, Matthew 13, beginning in verse 51. These are the words of our Savior, Jesus Christ, speaking. Have you understood all these things? They said to him, yes. And he said to them, therefore, every scribe who has been trained for the kingdom of heaven is like a master of a house who brings out of his treasure what is new and what is old. Very profound. Let's pray. Dear Father God, you have brought us this far in speaking to us throughout all of the gospel of Matthew, but particularly here in chapter 13, you have rested us here for a while. And you have allowed us to hear the words of your son as he instructs not only his disciples, but also great crowds in a manner that is somewhat elusive and mysterious, yet clear at the same time. It's the use of the imagination that Jesus uses here points to the kingdom of heaven, this kingdom that you establish within the hearts of your believers. So God, I pray that today as we, we focus on these words of Jesus to his disciples, you would cause us to ponder and to really take into ourselves the, the, the weight of the responsibility of this teaching from Jesus to us. You've given us great treasure to protect and to, to preserve. And you've given us responsibility as your church to proclaim this treasure. This is nothing that we should take lightly or take for granted, yet we should take with heavy responsibility and reverence. And so, God, I pray that the words of your Son, Jesus, would speak to us this morning, that you would cause our hearts to awaken to your truth and to the responsibility we have as your people. Let this hour be for you, Lord, we pray. Speak to us. In Jesus' name, amen. Amen. 
Have you ever had a hard time understanding someone when they speak to you? Perhaps their voice is muffled because they're trying to multitask while holding the phone. You ever heard that? Perhaps they're speaking in a code that you don't have the translation key for. You ever had that before? Um, Or it could be that they are not really paying attention to what you're saying. And of course, it's your fault that they cannot understand you or that they cannot. It's 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 their it's your fault because they're not listening. But it's your fault. Verses 51 and 52, these wrap up Matthew's presentation of parables from Jesus. Next week, we'll be looking at uh, a, a scene at the end of chapter 13 where Jesus is rejected by his hometown. But here, these last two verses, uh, they, they, they kind of wrap up and summarize all that Jesus has been teaching here as Jesus speaks to the mystery of the kingdom of heaven. Uh, let's remember what parables do, though. Let, let's go back and remember the purpose of parables. Jesus spoke in parables because some had ears but could not hear. Some had eyes but could not see. That's why he spoke in parables. We see a common theme throughout chapter 13. In 13 verse 9 and even in verse 43, the same phrase is brought out. He who has ears, let him hear. That's, that, that was a phrase that Jesus repeats as he teaches these parables. So this morning, do we have ears? Are we listening? Then in verse 13 of chapter 13, he says, This is why I speak to them in parables, because seeing they do not see, and hearing they do not hear, nor do they understand. Okay? Not only do people have a hard time understanding what we tell them, or or hearing what we tell them, a lot of times they don't understand what we tell them. Parents, can we say a hearty amen sometimes? Kids, can we say a hearty amen as we're trying to understand our parents? It goes both ways, doesn't it? Amen. And then in verse 35 of chapter 13, all these things Jesus said to the crowds in parables. Indeed, he said nothing to them without a parable. This was to fulfill what was spoken by the prophet. I will open my mouth in parables. I will utter what has been hidden since the foundation of the world. What Jesus is teaching here in the parables is is a mystery beyond human comprehension. It is something that has been hidden yet seen. Kind of a contradictory thought, but it's true. Um, Jesus taught in parables because the kingdom that he ushered in was hidden from self-focused human minds. Our sinful, human-centered minds could not comprehend the truth of God's glory in this world that he created. And so... The truth of the kingdom has been veiled to us. There's a mysterious truth that has shown itself all throughout human history, throughout God's creation, throughout the history of God's people Israel, throughout the wisdom of Solomon, throughout the creative beauty of David's Psalms, and through the prophets who were God's mouthpiece. The truth of the kingdom was proclaimed in all of these ways and continues to be proclaimed these ways through his word, through his son, Jesus Christ, and the revelation that we now have through this wonderful book. But now Jesus comes on the scene as John the Baptist declared back in Matthew chapter 3. If you remember when we were way back in Matthew chapter 3, was it last year? Right. If you remember all the way back there, John the Baptist declares that Jesus was coming. He says, prepare the way of the Lord, make his path straight. And John the Baptist says, I baptize you with water for repentance, but he who is coming after me is mightier than I, whose sandals I am not worthy to carry. He will baptize you with the Holy Spirit and fire. His winnowing fork is in his hand, and he will clear his threshing floor and gather his wheat into the barn, but the chaff he will burn with unquenchable fire. That was proclaimed by John the Baptist. And I think if you if you go back and reflect the parables in chapter 13, a lot of what John the Baptist just proclaimed here in chapter 3, Jesus proclaimed. 
He is, he is the one who is separating out the wheat from the chaff, the wheat and the tares. He is separating out the bad fish from the good fish. He is ushering in a kingdom that was like a large net that is sweeping through and dredging all of human history and all of the world and humanity to a final judgment. That's, that's the kingdom. So all of the parables of Matthew 13, they echo this theme of gathering and separating and harvesting. These parables warn that the cares of this world will choke out anyone's embrace of the kingdom. These parables warn of the evil one who scatters bad seed among the good seed to try to choke out the kingdom of heaven. And these parables warn of the rejection of the one who brings the kingdom to the hearts of men. There's harsh warnings in these parables. There is also great encouragement in these parables. So when we look here at Matthew 13, verse 51, have you understood all these things? They said to him, yes, who are they? Jesus is speaking to his 12 here. Remember in chapter 13, there are times where these parables are introduced as he's, as Jesus is speaking to crowds, but then there are other times that it is said that Jesus is speaking to his disciples. And most important, more specifically, when Jesus is describing and interpreting the parable, those are times of private instruction with his disciples. We are blessed to have those words and those insights. While Matthew presents the scene where many crowds gathered, and we saw this in Matthew 13, verse 2, and Matthew 13, verse 34, there were many crowds around Jesus who were hearing a lot of these parables as well. And then, of course, other times Jesus withdraws into a a private house or a private place where the disciples are actually asking, okay, Jesus, we heard the parable you taught. We don't understand it. What does it mean? And Jesus, with his 12, he pours into them. He, he disciples them. He mentors them. He's preparing them for the ministry that they will have to undertake when Jesus departs. And that's what's happening here in verses 51 and 52. It's, and so in verse 51, I mean, think about it. a good teacher. Wish, a good teacher will confirm what his or her students are learning. Got some teachers in this room. We understand. It's a good teacher will not just lecture and say, here's the information, good luck. A good teacher will want to confirm, are you understanding what is being taught? So we see this in verse 51. Jesus asking this question, have you understood all these things? Now, of course, their answer is yes. Now, This could have also been a rhetorical question by Jesus to kind of set the stage for even more teaching. But let's just assume we understand right now, Jesus is clarifying, do you understand this? And of course, the answer from the 12 is yes, but how many times do students say that they understand something when they really don't? How many times do children say, yes, mom and dad, I hear you, I understand you, but... The parents just shake their head and they go, no, you don't. That could be happening here as well. I mean, clearly the disciples are not going to fully understand all of the mysteries of the kingdom of heaven because they are finite in their thinking. They are sinful human beings just like you and me. They're not going to be Jesus Christ who has all of the wisdom of all of the cosmos. So they will, and so Jesus being the wise teacher he is, yes, he understands they may not fully get it, but they got enough at this point in the instruction. So, did these 12 really understand the mysteries of the kingdom that Jesus was revealing? Yes and probably no. But that's okay. The only possible way for Jesus to explain what his kingdom is like to these finite human minds is through the imagination. That's one of the best ways to teach, is to try to spark the imagination of the student. Sometimes... It's the best way to grasp what is ungraspable. I don't even know if that's a real English word, ungraspable. But it it works, doesn't it? 
to see what is unseen. The only way to see it is through the imagination. That's why these parables really, really go deep into the imagination of the listeners. Because they can imagine the imagery that Jesus is painting here to try to fathom what is unimaginable. Yet they have to, they, they can, they can feel it. They can see it. They can begin to engage in it. See, our modern minds depend, or they, we, we actually demand precision. Anybody have that personality? Uh, I'm not going to get it until I know every little fact and I understand exactly how they, all the pieces put together. And there has to be a logical order to all the information for me to conclude that it is right. Got a few people like that. But, but, but we can't do that with the kingdom of heaven. Kingdom of heaven is not a science problem to solve. It's not an engineering problem to navigate. The kingdom of heaven is something beyond human comprehension. The kingdom of heaven is something that, that requires faith. The kingdom of heaven is established by heavenly standards within the hearts of human beings. There is no scientific genius yet who can actually calculate and decide and discern how a soul functions. They haven't figured that out yet. It's beyond human calculation. So the kingdom of heaven established by heavenly standards is a kingdom that is unseen. It is not a material thing. The standards of our physical world cannot fully define it. That's why faith is necessary to understand much of the mysteries of the kingdom. Remember, faith is the assurance of things hoped for, the conviction of things unseen. Faith is still required even as we listen to these parables. The imagination is stirred, yet there is still something about the kingdom that we can't grasp yet. But through faith, we know and we can... We're confident it's real. How many Christians here know that the kingdom of heaven is real within you? Yet you cannot pull out a measuring stick and say, here's how I know. Let me prove it to you. That's how the king, that's why parables are the way Jesus taught. Matthew 13 verse 52 continues even further. Jesus says, And he said to them, therefore, every scribe who has been trained for the kingdom of heaven is like a master of a house who brings out his treasure, what is new and what is old. Remember, verse 51, the disciples said, yes, Jesus, we understand what you're teaching here. And so Jesus says, "Okay, if you understand what I'm teaching, you are and I'm commissioning you as the scribes, the students of the kingdom. I don't know if they knew they were signing up for that. But they were. This verse contains a lot here. We're going to spend the rest of our time in this one verse. Okay, Tanner up front, he he looked in the bulletin and he looked at me and said, Pastor, there's only two verses today. He thought he was going to have a short sermon. (laughs) Fooled you, didn't I? Amen. Let's dig into this one verse. You ready? Let's see what, what Jesus is teaching here. Every scribe is trained for the kingdom of heaven. These disciples were students. That's the very definition of the word disciple, to be a student. If you are a disciple of Christ, that's another way to describe the Christian even now. We are disciples of Christ. We are students of our Lord throughout the rest of our lives. We are being trained for a specific purpose. These 12 had a specific purpose that Jesus was preparing them for. Jesus poured into his students. He poured into them so that they could be teachers as well. Now that is a mission. Pouring into 12 men who were unlearned so that they would be the greatest apostles and teachers of the greatest kingdom that humanity ever knew. That's what Jesus is doing here. 
He does this in order to tell the world about the kingdom of heaven. He knows Jesus has the, has the plan that he's revealing to these disciples along the way. You're going to have a great mission, a great responsibility to proclaim this kingdom that I am showing you here. They needed to be in the kingdom. They could not teach what they did not know. And so Jesus here is spelling it out. Every scribe who has been trained for the kingdom of heaven. You're being trained, Christian. Why are you here on Sunday morning? It's for edification. It's for encouragement. It is for prayer. It is for building up fellowship one to one another for the purpose of being teachers and proclaimers yourselves to a fallen world. We're not here to entertain, folks. We're not, again, we, we always joke. It's been the joke of this church ever since we moved into this building about laser lights and fog machines. It's been the, because it's an understood fact, we're not going to do that. We're going to focus on God's Word so that all of us in this room collectively can learn together and encourage one another together to go out into our spheres of influence where our Lord has us to be teachers for others. does not mean that you have to be a lecturer. You don't have to lecture. You don't even have to provide a PowerPoint unless unless the situation requires it. But you must have answers for those in the world who do not know the kingdom. Christians in the West, you know what I mean when I say that Christians in the West? That's us. Okay, Christians in the West, we have the most advanced opportunities to study the truths of the gospel than any previous generation of Christians. We have a responsibility to know and to proclaim the gospel truthfully. We have a responsibility to live the gospel in genuine humility. Not to allow the cares of this world to choke out the impact of the kingdom of heaven in our lives and in our communities. Yet, what do modern, contemporary American Christians focus on more than anything? It's not the gospel. It's whatever Fox News tells you. It's whatever CNBC is spewing. It's whatever Facebook is putting in front of your eyes. We spend more time on that foolishness than we do the gospel. We have been granted a precious, precious responsibility and we're wasting it. Do we still cherish this gift of knowledge and resources and the freedom to worship and the freedom to understand the gospel? Do we cherish this above all things? That's what Jesus is trying to get these disciples to see. You have been, you are scribes. He's calling them scribes. Those who would be responsible for understanding the Mosaic law. He's using that language with his disciples here. You, I I am commissioning you to be responsible to understand the law of God as it points to the kingdom of heaven. You have a great responsibility. I'm preparing you for something. Yet we American Christians, let's just be honest, we can define American Christianity not as gospel Christians, but as secular Christians. Because we worship secular ideas more so than we worship the one true God and our Savior, Jesus Christ. We do. When we continue here in verse 52, each student, each scribe is like a master of a house. 
Here we must connect this, this intimate moment that Jesus has here, this intimate moment of teaching where Jesus and his 12 are together. We can connect here, verse 52, with the previous time of instruction back in Matthew chapter 10. If, if you wish, you may flip over there. We're not going to read a lot, but if you, I mean, you can take some notes here. Matthew, if you remember back in Matthew chapter 10, Jesus instructs his 12 to go out on a mission journey, preaching the kingdom of heaven to the surrounding cities and villages. This was one of the first commissioning of missionaries. <laughs> Jesus is saying, go forth, you have a ministry. And it's what he says in, in uh, Matthew chapter 10, verse 16. He tells the disciples, behold, I am sending you out as sheep in the midst of wolves. So be wise as serpents and innocent as doves. I've heard that phrase before. I think that applies to what Jesus is saying in Matthew 13, 52. Remember that when Jesus sent out his, his disciples to minister to the cities and the villages throughout Galilee, he warned them of persecution. But Jesus knew that he would also suffer and be persecuted himself. So he reminds his disciples that he, Jesus, who is the master of the house, the master of the kingdom, would himself be called the devil, Beelzebul. Those who oppose the gospel will attack the messenger of the gospel. And Jesus is saying, you're not alone in this, disciples. They're going to come after me and they're going to call me the devil himself. So why do you think you're going to avoid that? Remember in Matthew chapter 10, verses 24 through 25, Jesus says, A disciple is not above his teacher, nor a servant above his master. It is enough for the disciple to be like his teacher and the servant like his master. If they have called the master of the house Beelzebul, how much more will they malign those of his household? So here we, we have this idea of the master of the household all the way back in Matthew chapter 10 as it relates to the persecution that comes. The instructions from Jesus in chapter 10 does carry over to chapter 13. This, this, this parable of instructions. So really, Matthew 13, 52 is another parable. Did you pick up on that? It's another parable. Every scribe who has been trained for the kingdom of heaven is like a master of a house. Jesus referred to himself as the master of the house back in chapter 10. And his disciples here in Matthew 13 are carrying the same title. Jesus is giving them the same title. Just as I, your master teacher, is the master of the house, you likewise will be the same. And you're going to have a responsibility, right? The instructions here in Matthew 13, 15, Jesus is saying that these scribes, these teachers, these disciples would face great persecution because they're given a precious treasure to share, a precious treasure. When they do share this treasure, they will face strict harsh persecution. They will be rebuked. They will, they will suffer painful abuse at the hands of the secular world, of those who oppose the gospel. Jesus, though, reminds us, even now in these words, when we're reading this, that when the world comes against the gospel, when the world comes against the church, when they come against the faithful in Christ, we must be wiser than the persecutors. We have to be smarter than them. We have to live more wisely than those who come against the gospel. In other words, we who are the faithful in Christ, we must not be harsh as the evil ones against the gospel is har are harsh. If they're harsh against us, we do not respond in kind. That does not show that we are masters of God's house, does it? The ones who possess this precious treasure of the kingdom of heaven, we are called to behave as citizens of the kingdom. We are to be innocent as doves, being peaceful in our response, not harsh, not vile. Christians, are we hearing this? We are not to wish hatred or harm upon anyone who is opposed to us. That's how we are wiser 
than those who persecute the gospel. That's how we are. We're, we're shrewd as serpents, but we are innocent as doves. That's how wisdom in Christ comes out. We're not, we're not supposed to act like the serpent. We're supposed to be wise like a serpent. <laughs> that don't mean that we're going to act like one. We're supposed to be shrewd because we have the truth. There is absolutely no reason to get upset and defensive over something that is so true that no matter how many times people come against it, it will always be proven true. That's where our confidence lies. So why should we get upset when somebody comes against the gospel? We're not going to win them over if we we act the same way they do. But how many of us in this room and this pastor included, I'm confessing, how many of us have failed in that? You see, faithful Christians rise above the accusers. We get wrapped up in our secular divides. Republican versus Democrat seems to be more important than the gospel. American conservative versus the woke is more important than the gospel. COVID vaccinated versus the unvaccinated is more important than the gospel. Now I've just stepped on a lot of toes and half of you are not going to come back. But hear me, it does not matter if someone is vaccinated or unvaccinated. It does not matter if the government wants you to be vaccinated or not. The gospel is more important than that. Why are we so wrapped up in that foolishness? We have been given a precious treasure. Jesus is saying in Matthew 13, 52, to the disciples and to us as well, we are scribes, we are teachers of the kingdom. We're not teachers of COVID vaccine doctrine. We're not teachers of political debate. We are teachers of the gospel. First Thessalonians chapter four, verses nine through 12, uh, the, the apostle Paul, as he's writing to the church in Thessalonica, Thessalonica, here's what he sells them at, at chapter four of first Thessalonians, beginning in verse nine. Here's how a scribe of the kingdom of heaven conducts themselves. Are you listening? First Thessalonians chapter four, verse nine. Now concerning brotherly love, you have no need for anyone to write to you, for you yourselves have been taught by God to love one another. There we go. Language of teaching and learning. You have been taught by God to love one another. Verse 10, for that indeed is what you are doing to all the brothers throughout Macedonia. But we urge you brothers to do this more and more. Verse 11, and to aspire to live quietly to mind your own affairs and to work with your hands as we instructed you so that you may walk properly before outsiders and be dependent on no one. Why is the Apostle Paul instructing the church in Thessalonica this way? Because the church in Thessalonica was known to be so wrapped up in the political debates of the day and the cultural upheavals of their community that they were not being positive witnesses to the ungodly. They got, I mean, read first and second Thessalonians. Yes, there's a lot of prophecy there about future end time stuff. That's not the point of the, of the letters. The point of the letters is Paul is telling the church in Thessalonica, you have a witness that is important. Do not get lost in the debates of your community. You have a life to live as a strong witness. You have a lesson to teach those outside of the kingdom because you are the kingdom. Jesus knew that his disciples would struggle. He knew that there would be circumstances that would cause them to doubt and to waver in their faith. So he reminds his disciples in Matthew chapter 10 verse 19 that when the accusations come and the Christians must give testimony to the faith that they have in Christ, here's what Jesus says in Matthew 10 verse 19. He says, do not be anxious how you are to speak or what you are to say, for what you are to say will be given to you in that hour. 
Now, it's not like the Holy Spirit's going to possess us and we go into a trance and whatever comes out of our mouths, we don't remember. That's not what Jesus is saying. That, that's, what, that's what the prophet Muhammad said happened to him. That's not us. The Holy Spirit dwells in the Christian. The Holy Spirit dwells in the citizen of the kingdom. That's what makes us citizens. And those thoughts that are our true thoughts that come through our true mouths are those that are actually inspired by but also directed by the indwelling of the Holy Spirit. Why are we afraid? Let's move on. In Matthew chapter 10, verse 20, the next words that Jesus speaks here supports the biblical truth that the Christian, the faithful one who is redeemed, whom the Spirit of God dwells, it says, for it is not you who speak, but the Spirit of your Father speaking through you. So when we are teaching, that's what Jesus is talking about in Matthew 13, 52. When you are a scribe, when you are a teacher, what you are instructing, that's not your ideas alone. That's God speaking through you, using your creativity and using your imagination and using your personality for his glory. But the words and the ideas come from God through you. The treasure of the kingdom of heaven, this is a precious responsibility to protect. So, so much so that we're called upon by the master of the house to guard it and to care for it as truth. And we're not doing this alone. That's the encouragement. Those, those of us who are hearing this, how many of us, when we're hearing, wait a minute, God wants me to teach the gospel? How many of that, how much does that terrify anybody in this room? That terrifies me. But if we're reminding, reminded of the words of Christ, as you are responsible stewards of the gospel message, as you live it, as you proclaim it, you're not doing this alone. Our own efforts fall short. That's why we're often insecure on this, because we know how, how insecure we are. How, how, how short we are in our presentation, how we will fall flat on our face, and how our own sin will actually embarrass the gospel. But we are creatures of a holy and righteous God who loves us so much He changes us in the image of His Son, Jesus Christ. We will have the words of the Spirit of God in us When the time is right, it will be him who speaks through us. It will not be our own sinful will spewing words of confusion and doubt. If we are faithful to the gospel, if we are faithful to our Savior, and we are honestly and and humbly living out the truth of the gospel, we will be the teachers that God calls. So why should we be afraid? A little bit of fear probably brings us back to more faith in God, (laughs) faith in our Savior. There's a little, I mean, a little bit of fear is good. It keeps us humble. Amen? Because left to ourselves, our sinful minds will speak self-serving thoughts. We will not speak the glorious words of our Savior if it was up to us. So it is God speaking to us, through us, to others. Lastly, let's look here at Matthew uh, two more things here in Matthew thirteen fifty two. Y'all still with me? Yeah, All right. Matthew thirteen verse fifty two. Therefore, every scribe who has been trained for the kingdom of heaven is like a master of a house, who brings out of his treasure what is new and what is old. The master of the house brings treasure out of the house. The treasure that is safeguarded. The master of the house safeguards all that is necessary in the house. And there's a treasure here that the master of the house is responsible for. Here we got to remember that Jesus says in the Sermon on the Mount about how to handle the precious treasures of the kingdom. Remember, he says in Matthew chapter 7, verse 6, Do not give dogs what is holy, and do not throw your pearls before pigs, lest they trample them underfoot and turn to attack you. The master of the house is wise enough to understand the timing and the manner in which the gospel is presented. Now, that takes a lot of learning and experience. It 
a lot of failures too to, to learn what is wise and what is not. Um, but we do not waste our time giving the treasure of the kingdom to those who are going to trample it in the mud. See where we're going? Doesn't mean that, that we can't make sure that they hear the gospel. We don't waste our time with them fretting over whether or not they're going to take the, per, the string of pearls and put it around their neck or not. No, a dog and a, and a pig, what are they going to do with pearls? They're not going to cherish it. So we don't waste our time. Now, we, we speak the truth. We make sure that they hear the truth as directed by our Lord and as opportunity provides. But we don't waste our energies and our souls and fretting over why are they not listening to me. Jesus makes that clear too to the disciples as they're going out in, in their ministry in Matthew chapter 10. If you come to a village, a town that rejects me, shake the dust off your feet and move on. God will take care of it. You've done, you've been faithful to do what God has called you to do. Move on. God has called the Christian to be faithful, not successful. Amen. That is a phrase from, I don't know if you remember, uh, uh, the, uh, the great evangelist uh, Chuck Colson. He had that on his desk. That was his reminder to himself on his desk. Be faithful, not successful. God will take care of it. And so as we are masters of the house, we have this treasure in the house that, that Jesus in, in Matthew 13, 52 is instructing his disciples, you will be masters of the treasure that is in the house. You will be in charge of and stewards of how to distribute the gospel. The master of the house is responsible to care for and to protect the household. He or she must be, you have to be discerning, you have to be wise as to how the treasure is to be revealed and distributed and how it is to be heard. We're not responsible for how it is received, however. The master of the house is responsible for how it is distributed, how it is protected, not how it is received. The master of the house provides the necessities of the household. And Jesus is calling these disciples, these scribes of the kingdom, they are like masters of a house. There's a responsibility here. Jesus makes his disciples these masters who have to discern whom and how they are to share the gospel, share the treasure of the kingdom. By naming these disciples masters of the house, I think Jesus is giving them authority. They're, they're receiving some authority along with the responsibility. He's given them authority to govern the kingdom of heaven as it resides in the world. They're not, God, Jesus is not giving the Christians authority over the kingdom of heaven in the universe, over the cosmos. He's giving them authority over the kingdom of heaven as it is lived out in this world. I want that to soak in for a minute. As Christians, Jesus says, here is my kingdom. Here is my truth. Here is the gospel. Now go spread it in the world. That's responsibility. Some who are confronted with the gospel truth, as this gospel is spread in the world, like I said, they'll treat it the way pigs treat fine pearls, right? So the master of the house, the master of the kingdom of heaven, we discern the wise methods because the gospel is the truth of salvation, not through us, but through Christ alone. We've got to remember that. And Jesus, who is where salvation comes through, Jesus, the master teacher, he trusts that his students will model him in this. Now, lastly, here in verse 52, Jesus says this. These scribes who have been trained for the kingdom of heaven are like a master of a house who brings out his treasure, what is new and what is old. Some of you are scratching your head going, what in the world is Jesus saying there? Let's try to understand it together, okay? The treasure of the kingdom of heaven is described here as 
as either old or new. Seems contradictory, but let's let's figure out. The, the medieval Christian scholars of the Dark Ages, uh, they argued that in this verse that the mention of the old and the new treasure referred to the old and the new testaments. Maybe. But I think it's deeper than that. It's much more than that. Jesus is not telling these teachers, these disciples who are in training, that they have only the treasures of the old covenant and the new covenant with Jesus to share to a fallen world. What these, what these disciples have, what these masters of the house have, they have a treasure that is new and, and old at the same time. They have a truly new message that is truly old. They have a truly new message that is truly old because all of the covenants of God in the Old Testament point to the final new covenant in Jesus Christ. So this message is truly new and truly old. That's what Jesus is mentioning here. When we bring out the treasure, what is new and what is old. It is something that is not of our making. It is something that God established and hid from mankind in the beginning of time. As it manifests itself throughout human history, as God works among humans through human cultures, and he calls out one particular people amongst all nations, Israel, to be the conduit by which the treasure, the gospel would come. And now we as the church carry that. You see that? Now, the parable of the net that we looked at last week, Matthew 13, verses 47 through 50, it pointed to the to the, uh, the end times prophecy, the eschatological. Remember that big theological word? The eschatological. It's this separation of the evil souls from the good souls at the final judgment. It was the parable of judgment that all needed to hear. Both the redeemed in Christ, the elect of Christ, and the unsaved, those who were not the elect, both needed to hear that message. And the point of this judgment parable, all of the judgment parables, is to give the sinner pause and reflection, to give more understanding of this grand truth of the kingdom of heaven. The last parable of the old and the new treasure here in verse 52 where every disciple of Jesus Christ, every scribe of heaven is a master of the house. That's you and me too. We are masters of the message, masters of the treasure. Every Christian is trained in the gospel. And if not, they are called to learn and to study how to proclaim this warning of final judgment as well. Now, a lot of us don't like that. I don't like telling somebody that in the end of days and the final judgment, some will be set aside and preserved. Many others will be tossed away into the fiery furnace. And it's not our decision to make who is who. The message of that is God alone has given his son, Jesus Christ alone, authority to make that judgment and to issue punishment. Or reward. And that's the truth of the gospel as well. Every Christian is trained in the gospel. And if not, they're called to learn and to study how to preach this gospel, how to live out this gospel, to proclaim the warning of final judgment. We are called to do that as well. Yet now I'll have to admit in, in, in church history, there have been a lot of uh, mistakes in this too. We would rather scare somebody into the kingdom than to love them into the kingdom. But that doesn't mean that we ignore the judgment and the warning of it. It's both. We are to proclaim that Jesus is the Savior who will rescue the rotten soul destined for eternal separation from God the Father and keep them from the place of weeping and gnashing of teeth. Because let's be honest, the gospel message is this. It, the gospel begins with the understanding of the state of all human souls as we carry the sin of Adam. We are not created evil, yet we are born into the sin of Adam, so we are born into the punishment and the judgment of weeping and gnashing of teeth for eternity. Yet, 
The gospel is this. The rotten fish can be, can be made fresh and whole. Now, you and I can't do that with a fish. We can't take a rotten fish and make it fresh anymore. See, for us, it's the opposite. A fresh fish turns to rotten fish. But the gospel is that he takes a rotten soul and turns it into a fresh soul. That's the gospel. And so when we look here, what is Jesus saying here in verse 52? You are, and he's talking to the disciples, but he's also speaking to us. We are scribes and students of the kingdom. We are, we are students and teachers of the gospel. And we will bring out the treasure uh, that is in the house that we are responsible for. And we will distribute both the new and the old. We will distribute the very loving message also with the very hard message. Here's what the Apostle Paul tells the church in Corinth in 2 Corinthians chapter 5, verses 10 through 11. Paul says this, For we must all appear before the judgment seat of Christ so that each one may, be, may receive what is due for what he has done in the body, whether good or evil. Verse 11, Therefore, knowing the fear of the Lord, we persuade others. Knowing the fear of the Lord, we persuade others. That's the, that's the job of a teacher, to persuade the minds of those who are listening. And Paul continues, but what we are is known to God, and I hope it is known also to your conscience. And so Paul was declaring there in 2 Corinthians 5, we who know the fear of the Lord, we are persuading you. And he is encouraging the church in Corinth to do the same. You take the message that Paul has taught you, and you you persuade others as well. The Christian disciple cannot teach others what he or she does not intimately know. And that's what Paul is saying here at the end of verse 11. You know God and you know me and you know that I am speaking the truth. He says, I hope it is known also to your conscience. So what is, how do we wrap this up? The kingdom of heaven, back in uh, chapter 13, verse 52, the kingdom of heaven. Here's another big theological term if you've not heard this. The kingdom of heaven is a realized eschatology. Have you ever heard that term? No. <laughs> it is a realized eschatology. What that means is that the kingdom of heaven is already here, but it's not yet fulfilled. Jesus is telling his disciples in Matthew 13, 52, the kingdom of heaven is here, but there's more work to be done. Now, you and me would say, now, God, if you're establishing a kingdom, just do it all. And I'll sit back and take the reward. That would be nice. Say, how many of us in this room have ever built a house or built anything? Do you do it yourself or do you hire a contractor? Both. <laughs> Bill says both. I've done both. It's nicer to have contractors do the work for you. <laughs> but, but if you have to build it yourself, there's a little more sweat equity. See, we Christians, we, we have, we've been, we've been pampered. We think that God is supposed to build everything for, and he does. He is, Jesus has established the kingdom of heaven. Jesus is the cause of the kingdom of heaven. Jesus is the Lord of the kingdom of heaven. Yet he has granted us and given us uh, responsibility to continue to build the kingdom of heaven. That doesn't mean we build it in our image. <laughs> we build it as the Lord directs and as he, as he gives us responsibility. So the kingdom is already here, but not yet fulfilled. There is much evil in this world that we're still going to deal with while the kingdom that Jesus establishes continues to grow and thrive. If you've got nothing else out of chapter 13, if you've got nothing else out of all these parables, the truth of the kingdom of heaven is it's not perfect as you want it to be perfect. It is perfect as God wants it to be perfect, but it's not perfect the way you and I want it to be perfect. We're going to still have to deal with evil in this world by God's design. Thank you, Lord. We are established here in the kingdom while evil is still here and we have to deal with it. 
So have you understood out of all of these parables? Let's try to remember here and close this out. Do you comprehend the truth that the present form of the kingdom of heaven will continue to have good and evil both in it? That's the truth of the parables. Do you realize that the believers, those who are faithful in Christ, will continue to grow in numbers and to permeate and spread and influence the fallen world? That is the number one thing we have to remember as Christians. The kingdom of heaven is designed to continue to influence and to just soak into the evil of the world and persuade others. Do you know that entering the kingdom of heaven involves the recognition of the worthlessness of every person, the depravity of humanity, apart from salvation in Jesus Christ. The kingdom is not everybody's good. The kingdom of heaven is not everybody is saved. The kingdom of heaven is that apart from salvation in Jesus Christ, every human being is in a depraved, sinful, worthless state. And the only hope is Christ. Do you see that the final separation of the righteous and the wicked at the end of time is an inescapable judgment that all people must go through? Do you realize that this destiny is eternal? That's what, that's what the parables tell us. That tells us what the kingdom of heaven is like. We'll never fully get it <laughs> until we are with our Savior in heaven. I don't know what we're going to be, I don't know what we're going to be awakened to when we get to heaven, but I'm looking forward to it. It's going to be both. Here's where you messed up and here's where you did well. I don't want to hear where I messed up. Do you? I don't want to hear where I failed the Lord, but he's going to let us know. Here's where you failed me, but here's where you did right. Good and faithful servant. Nathan, come on forward. I hope going through the parables of this one chapter was, has been beneficial. It's been a couple of months, hasn't it? When did, when did we start Matthew 13? Anybody remember? I can't remember. I've slept since then. Uh, it was just after Christmas. So January and February, we take on through the Matthew 13. Here's, as, as Nathan is going to close us here, here's what I want us to ponder and meditate in prayer. Let's ponder and meditate that, number one, what is our role in the kingdom of heaven? Are we in the kingdom of heaven or are we outside of it? That's, that's the most important thing to ponder. Because Jesus did not teach parables to dictate who has hope and who does not. He taught the parables so that influence would happen. Now, Jesus knew who, ha- who, who eventually would be separated out. But at the same time, he also knew that those who were listening, there was a possibility of a changed heart. And he knew how that would happen, and he knew who that would happen with, and he knew who would receive it and who would not. That's the mystery I can't grasp. Change of a heart still happens in the midst of God's sovereignty. It's an amazing thing that these parables show. Jesus didn't teach these parables to condemn. He taught these parables to teach hope and trust in Christ as the kingdom is established. So number one, are you in the kingdom or outside of the kingdom? Number two, have you really considered seriously the weight of the responsibility that you have as a citizen of the kingdom? And are you living and modeling Christ in that responsibility? I think that's the other big message in the parables. That's a, that's a, that's a searching of the heart that we all must do daily. And as we close, let's pray and ponder that. Father God, we thank you, Lord, for your word here in Matthew 13. We thank you for, man, just the wisdom of your son shared with us as 
He was, he is the master teacher and we are the students and we are given responsibility to become teachers and proclaimers ourselves. And oh, wow, Lord, we, we need your wisdom and your guidance and your grace so that we can proclaim the name of your son well. I pray God that you would forgive us when we don't do this. I would pray that you would forgive us when we replace the responsibility of the gospel message with anything else, whether it is, it sounds righteous or not, and it has nothing to do with the gospel or not. Lord, teach us what is right and what is true to focus our attentions upon. And I pray God you would teach us to be good witnesses and, and, and proclaimers of your gospel. Let this time of closing in our service be for your glory, Lord. Speak, I pray, to those in this room who are struggling with whether or not they are in the kingdom or not. And dear God, I pray that you would transform that person's heart into that heart of a repentant and an obedient servant of your kingdom who trusts that their sin is covered. And those of us who know that we have been forgiven, I pray, God, you would chastise us, but also encourage us to continue to be your servants in the kingdom. Lord, let this time be for your glory. Let your kingdom be instilled within us. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. Amen.